Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, it's Gabriella Hoffman here, host of District of Conservation. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Today's episode will largely be dedicated to the ACEA and the discussion about the jurisprudence of Supreme Court Justice nominee Amy Coney Barrett. I'm going to do my best to assess those two as concisely as possible and give you guys some greater clarity on what first that bill does and secondly why Second Amendment supporters and those in the energy and conservation space who like a reasonable approach to matters will be pretty satisfied with this pick for the Supreme Court. Here we go. All right. So you have likely heard about the American Conservation Enhancement Act, and this bill has been making some movement in both the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. So it was first introduced in the Senate in December of last year, Shortly afterwards, it was heard in the Committee on Environmental and Public Works. And the Senate version, for those of you who don't know, is sponsored by Senator John Barrasso, a Republican from Wyoming. The bill started to get some movement earlier this summer on July 1st when Senator Barrasso uh, put in a written report on September 16th. It was passed agreed to in the Senate with an amendment by voice vote and the most recent action with it, I believe it did pass the House on October 1st, was passed agreed to in the House on motion to suspend the rules and pass the bill agreed to by voice vote. Now, what this bill stipulates, and then I'm going to read a little bit from Congressman Whitman, who is a past guest on the podcast and from Safari Club, explaining more exactly what this bill does. Okay, there are a lot of provisions in this. We're going to use a little aid in breaking down exactly what this is. All right, so I'll first go to the primer on this from Safari Club because there is a lot to pack. I will include the text from the Senate bill. But essentially what Safari Club says with respect to this, the bill was passed by a voice vote on October 1st and they bill it as a major win for conservation and wildlife everywhere. And what it'll do is authorize or reauthorize several existing wildlife and conservation programs like the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, which is the NAWCA, while also addressing high priority issues like chronic wasting disease by establishing a federal task force to combat the deadly disease. You guys have heard about CWD and how prevalent it is in certain states and the need to address it. And finally, it seems like a congressional bill in this form will help tackle this. They've been deliberating this in Congress for the last few years, and perhaps it'll get some movement. And Safari Club further details that one of the key objectives, obviously, is to highlight the threats posed by chronic wasting disease, which is a fatal disease affecting deer, elk, caribou, and moose in 26 states and four Canadian provinces. 
by establishing a federal task force to ensure that states have a coordinated plan to research, surveil, and manage the spread. While CWD is not causing widespread reductions in deer populations, it represents a significant threat to hunting and wildlife management in North America. And moreover, like they said as well, it reauthorizes the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, which leverages private investments to improve millions of acres of wetlands, making it one of our nation's most effective voluntary conservation programs and a huge win for waterfowl hunters everywhere. They also say that, uh, breaking down what the Senate bill had put out there, so it'll reauthorize the NAWQA Act until 2025. It'll reauthorize the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation Act until 2025. It'll reauthorize the Chesapeake Bay Program until 2025. It'll author a commission. It'll commission a study by the National Academy of Sciences regarding the pathways and mechanisms of the transmission of chronic wasting disease, CWD, in the U.S. It'll establish a CWD task force to develop an interstate action plan for state and federal cooperation relating to the disease. It will establish a program to provide grants to states and Indian tribes to compensate livestock producers for losses due to predation by federally protected species such as wolves or grizzly bears. And it will also direct the Director of Fish and Wildlife Service to issue depredation permits to livestock producers to allow for the taking of black vultures or common ravens under specified circumstances during calving or lambing season. All right, and there's a lot more. And then here's what Congressman Whitman says about this. And he represents Virginia's 1st District. He was a previous guest on the podcast with respect to the Chesapeake Bay provision is, quote, the ACE Act is a once-in-a-generation advancement to clean up the Chesapeake Bay and protect and conserve our natural environment across America, he said. The Bay is a national treasure, and the ACE Act provides additional resources and extends critical conservation programs that preserve wetlands, reduce pollution, and increase recreational opportunities in Virginia. So that is what the ACE Act, I don't know why I was saying the AECA, (laughs) the ACE Act I think is a better better acronym for it. But that's kind of what it does in a nutshell. If you want to see the individual programs that it'll tackle, I've included all the links to it in the show notes and you can have at it. But it'll be interesting to see if with the passage by voice vote in both chambers, if it'll go to the president's desk. If it's anything like the Great American Outdoors Act, I have no doubt he will be encouraged to sign this bill, pass it, especially with different Republicans in different states that handle conservation issues, probably urging him to do so. So we will likely see the president tackle this, hopefully in the affirmative. And I will keep you posted on the ACE Act's progress. Now I want to talk about the selection of Amy Coney Barrett, who currently sits on the seventh circuit court of appeals out of Indiana and what her selection as the next Supreme Court justice, if she were to be confirmed six days from now on October 12th or beginning October 12th, she won't, the confirmation hearing won't be, I believe until a week after. And they say the latest that she could be confirmed possibly would be October 22nd. But Amy Coney Barrett is considered a textualist originalist judge, meaning she interprets what the constitution stipulates And for Second Amendment supporters and those who support true conservation efforts, that gives them a sigh of relief, typically, that she's not going to be an activist judge. She's going to not insert her personal opinion. She'll rule as the Constitution dictates. And like I said, that'll be a 
interpreting text history and tradition philosophy, a textualist, originalist philosophy. And my friend Stephen Gutowski of the Washington Free Beacon and a past guest here on the podcast has a great article on what the experts say about Coney Barrett's selection and nomination to the Supreme Court and what that would bring if she were to be confirmed by October 22nd. So I'm going to read from this article for you guys because legalese can be very difficult. And then I'm going to also talk about how she has ruled kind of on energy and conservation issues. But here we'll start with Stephen's article. Legal scholars say Amy Coney Barrett's judicial philosophy could settle stalemates and disagreements that have seen lower federal courts deliver a variety of rulings on gun rights. Barrett's adoption of what experts refer to as, quote, text history and tradition, end quote, philosophy, which relies on the text and historical applications of the Second Amendment rather than the applications of balancing tests in individual rights and government interests to determine whether or not gun law constitutional could be revolutionary for Second Amendment cases. And let me insert quickly here. A major gun rights case has not been heard by the Supreme Court in over a decade. And people in Second Amendment circles and firearm circles are hoping that her addition to the court could actually finally rule in the affirmative when it comes to affirming Second Amendment rights and in cases and provisions. So I'm going to continue on. Uh, according to what other experts have said. So Gutowski has uh, Jacob D. Charles, the executive director of Duke University Center of Farms Law. And he said, in practice, the court's adoption of the text history and tradition test would mean a lot of previously settled circuit precedent gets unsettled. And Stephen also adds in 2019 ruling Cantor versus Barr, Barrett argued in a dissent that, quote, all people have the right to keep and bear arms, but that history and tradition support Congress's power to strip certain groups of that right, end quote. After studying founding era documents, Barrett concluded that nonviolent felons should not be subject to the same gun restrictions that apply to violent criminals. Mark W. Smith, presidential scholar and senior fellow in law and public policy at the King's College in New York City, told the Free Beacon that approach favored by Barrett is in stark contrast to the balancing tests lower courts have employed in the past. And he is quoted as saying, balancing tests are favored by the liberal justices and left-leaning lower courts because they serve as an easy excuse for eliminating the right to possess and use firearms, he said. It allows liberal jurisdictions to invoke public safety without any empirical support and to deny constitutional rights carte blanche. These balancing tests allow judges to pay lip service to the Second Amendment while eroding the most fundamental individual right, end quote. And I'll include Stephen's article for you guys to read more if you're interested. Now, here's something from what Politico said with respect to what Amy Coney Barrett could mean for climate law. If confirmed, President Trump's selection of Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court could push the high court to open up landmark legal precedents about climate change. She is considered an originalist in the mold of the late Justice Scalia, for whom she clerked in the 1990s. She had long advocated for the Supreme Court to show more flexibility in overturning past precedents. That could apply to the high court's ruling in 2017 in Massachusetts versus EPA that said the Clean Air Act gave EPA the authority to regulate greenhouse gases. This political report, I believe it's a morning newsletter on energy dated September 28th, 2020. Uh, It also adds that at least two Supreme Court justices still on the court have signaled interest in revisiting the climate rulings. Justices Alito and Thomas and other members of the court's conservative wing may also be sympathetic to arguments to reconsider this decision. 
With a more conservative judge such as Barrett, the court could weaken Massachusetts without overturning it, said Jody Freeman, director of Harvard Law School's Environmental and Energy Law Program and a former Obama White House advisor. That could include, quote, interpreting provisions to require additional cost-benefit analysis, taking a limited approach to the co-benefits that come with climate rules and otherwise making it harder for the agency to regulate greenhouse gases and other pollution, she said in an email. And uh, this Politico Morning newsletter further continued, no case has yet far advanced for a court to take a position on the scope of EPA's authority, but if Trump is reelected, that could provide such an opening. And also, as it relates to energy issues, uh, the E&E News wire says this, could Barrett shut the courthouse doors on Enviro's, also dated September 26, 2020. If confirmed, Barrett 48 will become the Supreme Court's sixth Republican appointed justice, replacing one of the court's most liberal members and deepening a conservative majority on the bench that could affect the outcome of environmental litigation for years. Quote, the courts in general and the Supreme Court in particular are not going to be much help on confronting the major environmental challenges we face, said Vermont Law School professor Pat Parentau wrote in an email. Barrett accepted the nomination. The article continued in E&E News. Barrett's record on environmental and energy issues is largely undeveloped, but several environmental groups voiced concern about Barrett's narrow view of public interest groups' power to sue in opinion she wrote as the judge for the seventh U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, where she has served since 2017. So if they take issue with her being against the EAJ and how it's abused by environmental interests, I think actually that's a really good thing for those of us who are true conservationists because they abuse that law so much. And we'll see, let me see a little bit for that says that she also signed on to a 2018 decision that asked the Army Corps engineers to revisit a decision that placed 13 acres of Illinois wetlands off limits to a housing developer. Oh, the Center for Biological Diversity doesn't like her. Oh, okay, that's good news for us. They said that her slim judicial record shows that she's hostile to the environment and will slam shut the courthouse orders to public interest advocates to the delight of corporate polluters. Brett Hartle, government affairs director at the Center for Biological Diversity, said in a statement on September 25th. And if you guys want to read more on that, but if she potentially could rule against uh, the abuses of the EAJ, the suits that are filed, the frivolous lawsuits that are filed by environmental groups, which come at the cost of taxpayers, millions of dollars, that could be a really good sign. And um, I think what you can conclude about Justice Barrett so far is that she hasn't really ruled, but when she has ruled, she has tried to take a more balanced approach against the kind of environmental interests that sue and sue and sue unlike any other. So I have no issue with her. I mean, politically speaking, I actually like that she's a textualist and a constitutionalist. So we will see what happens, but I think you shouldn't be afraid of her if you're a true conservationist because I think she's going to have a more measured approach and not rule in the favor of frivolous lawsuits and environmental alarmism.